It's Wednesday, so you've got me. I'm Carousel Baird. Hey, you can listen to me any day of the week. You can listen online at WRTFM.org, at the A Public Affair podcast, or on the WORT smartphone app. If you like what you hear, click the donate button and support community media. Your donation makes a huge difference. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. Hello, everybody, and welcome to A Public Affair. It's Wednesday. That means you've got me. I'm your host today, Carousel Baird. And um, I want to remind you, you are listening to the fabulous volunteer-powered, listener-sponsored community radio, WORT 89.9 FM, Madison. We have a great show lined up today. We're continuing our back-to-school spirit, back-to-school conversations. I love our September shows when we really get to take a deep dive into what's happening in our schools in Madison, Wisconsin, and beyond. And um, today we're sort of doing a, a, a different conversation a little bit and that we're talking about what's happening in, in schools, but we're also talking about the bigger effect and what's happening with students and with their families and who better to have a conversation about students and their families when it comes to interacting with our school than social workers. Those are really the backbone of um, the community service and the work that's being done to support our students, support their families uh, when they are in school and beyond. And today I'm very happy to have uh, Sarah Leonard joining us today. She is um, president-elect of Wisconsin School Social Workers Association, and she's currently a school social worker. She's been a school social worker for 15 years across the Midwest, currently at an MMSD high school. Hi, Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you. Um, So let's sort of start maybe a big picture what do social workers do in our schools? I mean, because I think the answer is a lot of things. Yes, it's absolutely a lot of things. Um, but I can start with the services and supports we provide that are more, I would say, kind of our mandated services are things we're definitely responsible for doing. Um, and so social workers would be um, following up on any concerns related to child abuse or neglect. Um, we um, are kind of the front line in, in regards to reaching out to families and doing checks, check-ins about attendance, as we know attendance and um, any disruption in attendance of school is maybe an indicator that there are other things going on. So we reach out to families when there's an attendance concern to see what we can do to address that. Um, we are part of the special education um, process and supports within the school. Um, so providing supports to students in special education um, and a lot of mental health support. So we're meeting with students directly. We're having conversation with parents who are maybe concerned about their child um, and, and following up on that. Um, we can definitely help connect families to needed resources in the community related to mental health or other basic needs um, that families are trying to meet. Um, and really being an advocate for families and for students. So we typically are serving and reaching out to and, and working with some of our most marginalized students and families and helping navigate different um, resources and systems and, um, and really advocating for them to get you know, what they need. And what, what are you seeing in general? I know um, in Madison, but even beyond, what, what, are there any trends that we're seeing recently where it does it seem like school students are needing more support than they had in the past? Mm-hmm. Or is it really just sort of steady? Students have always needed support and the, the issues change, but the needs um, remain the same. That's a good question. I feel like there's the need is always there. So I've been a social worker for 15 years in, um, and 10 of those or 11 or those were in Wisconsin. And so knowing like the need has always been there. I feel like I've never, the, the job is fast paced. The need outweighs usually what I can provide. (laughs) So that like level of need has always been there. What I will say, um, and what data and reports are showing too is that COVID had a 
extremely large impact on everybody, including our youth. Yeah. And I would say coming out of the pandemic and transitioning back to school, the level of mental health need was substantially um, larger than before COVID. So all the things that we did um, in supporting mental health, suicide risk assessments, following up with families, like that's always been there, but the sheer volume was overwhelming when we came back from the pandemic, um, just in the number of students who were really, really struggling and the really long wait list to get in to see a mental health provider. Um, so oftentimes we were really trying to bridge that and providing mental health support to those students who are waiting to be seen by community providers. And I would say that is what we've heard from social workers across the state, that especially after the pandemic, that the need of mental health has been very significant. And schools are often the first line of helping students and family navigate those complex and often very frustrating um, systems to getting the support that they need. I mean, I think that's what's so unique about the work that social workers do in our schools is that they, we expect, you know, people to come to school, youth to come to school ready to learn. And there's all these obstacles before they can even start learning the things that they're supposed to, you know, be learning about and being engaged in the classroom to to get there and nowhere else. I'm a tenant rights attorney and no one asked me to solve their healthcare problems and no one asked me to solve their child disability problems. And yet people ask our school social workers to solve every problem, housing, healthcare, there's everything sort of just shows up at your doorstep. Can you talk to us about the, the unique challenges of being a social worker in a school where um, students show up uh, when they haven't had access or whether they couldn't get in or whether they haven't even been thinking about soliciting this support. And here they are in your office now. I think what, yes, yeah, so I think you speak to the variety of things that we see and why each day is so different and what comes to our door each day is unpredictable. Um, and yeah, our students and families, I think you're going to see that across the state are coming to us with, with various needs and why often um, we don't really talk about schools as like social service agencies, but yet we quite we, we honestly function as one in that we're providing emotional support um, and we're also helping families navigate the different systems to get their, their needs met. Um, and given that, when you look at a school population and then like how many kids are in a certain school or a certain district, and then when you really look at how many school social workers, school psychologists, school counselors are employed in those, and when we think about what we're asking schools to help families navigate and the supports that we're trying to provide, I mean, it's not nearly adequate to the need that we have and the need that we see in our students. And I would say that it sounds simple that a student, you know, I meet with a student and there's a mental health concern and I call a parent and they agree like, oh, yeah, I've been noticing that my child doesn't want to leave their room much, that they're not interacting, they're not doing the things they used to do, I'm concerned, that navigating the system is time-consuming and frustrating. Um, I'm a bilingual school social worker, so my families often have a language barrier. And so helping to make those phone calls, um, the wait list, just the navigating, knowing when to push back on an agency of like, no, you actually can ask for this. Like if you're told no, you know, like just helping, just knowing the systems and how they work and making sure families know how to navigate it. Um, it's, n it's not quick, like making those connections and stuff is not just like, here's the number, give it a call. Um, it's more complex than that. And mm -hmm. families you know, sometimes need more support in navigating those systems. Do people realize the, the obstacles that uh, youth and their families have? And do you feel like People outside of the school system, the public, um, taxpayers, realize how important it is to support 
the work that school social workers do that you're expected to solve issues way beyond you know the academic success of a student my experience is often no Hmm. i think especially depending upon who i'm interacting with so when you talk about maybe folks in our community with privilege might be like i never you know I, I don't know what you would do. And when I list off some of the things I do, they're like, oh, I wouldn't have even thought about that. So I think when people are operating like from the privilege that they maybe have, they're not thinking about what barriers are present when you don't have those privileges. Yeah. Whether I think specifically economically, I don't think people understand what, if if they don't live in poverty, what that actually means and what barriers those present in in a multitude of ways um, that make it really hard. Um, and so I think there's a lot of people um, who don't understand what our families are going through and what they face and how hard it is. Can you talk to us about some of those different issues, maybe break it down, right? So much of it's related to the issues of poverty. Can we talk about housing stability. That's certainly a conversation that is happening everywhere across the country, certainly here in Madison, a conversation we've had on our radio show many, many times, but never specifically linked to the challenges that youth are facing when they get to school. What what are the impacts of housing instability uh, in the students that social workers see? Yeah, I mean, we definitely, right, we're we're supporting students who are homeless, so that's definitely, um, you know, one of the supports that we're providing within the building. Um, and so our students who don't have housing security, I mean, that can, the stress of that. Um, so we have some families who are, you know, doubled up with another family, which means that we have families in very tight quarters where there's just a lot of people in a very small space, which is stressful. So I think we see students coming in who have this underlying layer of stress of like, um, if it was a hard night or if there was tension, um, insecurity and accessing food. Um, Maybe they didn't get a good night's sleep because they're sleeping on the floor next to several people. Like there's just a lot of situations that people don't realize, like students are coming in with that. That's our baseline. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're going to see students who um, struggle and that can show up in different ways. Like some students might be more withdrawn and more quiet and more reserved. And then we might have students who um, are more reactive, right? So it's something simple kind of, gets a really, really big reaction. And then you come to find out afterwards, like all the other things that led to that point of just like total frustration. Um, So I think we see it show up in, in different ways, but it definitely takes a toll when students will say that like their living situations when they don't have permanent or adequate housing is really stressful. And I think any adult, if you kind of picture that being like if you didn't have a stable house or you're in a really crowded living situation trying to figure it out it's really stressful and that takes a toll especially when that happens over a long period of time and we do have some families who have faced housing instability like more frequently um, or for longer periods of time and it takes a toll for sure i think people underestimate the the impact of poverty um housing instability where you don't know where you're going to sleep. You have to be on your best behavior. You don't get a good night's sleep. You don't have any personal space and your parents or caretakers are stressed out and overwhelmed and don't have time to support you. And I, I think so many times about how everyone's workplace can be stressful at times, no no matter what the kind of space is. And right, I I feel like my work is really stressful, and my home is my safe place where I can be a little snappy to my husband and be like, oh, that's that's it, I can't do it today, and I can be inappropriate and shut a door and say I'm not talking to people for half an hour, or do all these things to sort of do personal care. But when your home life is the place where you have to be on your best behavior, there's no place for someone to let off steam except when they're in the classroom and i feel like people don't understand that and they're just wondering why these kids why kids are acting a certain way and not acknowledging the tremendous pressure that 
housing instability specifically what we're talking about now we'll talk about other issues but the pressure that that plays on people are you seeing that playing out in the classroom i assume yeah i mean we definitely see that play out in the classroom i think you know hearing from students um i remember last year having a student who just um we had a space available that was quiet that kind of like if you needed a place to like if you're having a moment needed some space that you could go and um you know i've had students say like i just i have no privacy at home have no moment to myself i have no quiet where they would want to just access it to just have that like just space and just quiet and just no one you know asking anything of them um and so we'll definitely hear that from students for sure talk to us about other challenges poverty i I think about students coming to school um and in school and leaving school hungry yeah i that's definitely a reality um in our schools in wisconsin Mm -hmm. i think um in schools that i have worked at in my experience like schools are trying to um are trying to do what they can so we do you know all schools are providing school lunch Um, My question is always in regards to that um, for our state. Are we serving food that kids want to eat and will eat and is also healthy, right? And then what other opportunities do we have to provide food um, to family or like to students when they're at school or food that we can send home? So oftentimes in my experience, there's there's schools that have um, some sort of food pantry or food program where we're able to um, have a space to sometimes send food home with students um, or a place where families can come to the school to get food in an emergency situation. Um, but we definitely see that. I know teachers across the state purchase snacks and keep them in their classroom for that um, for that purpose as well. So I, I feel like it's a systematic issue that could be addressed um, in that way. And we know that we have students coming to our school with food instability and what resources are we systematically providing and funding um, to make that happen? Because a lot of it happens school by school, district by district, in partnerships that you can create um, and other things. But it just, it seems to me like it would be something that we might want to look at more systemically. I'm appreciate that you bring that up because that was sort of one of my questions when we look at creative solutions and and things would happen uh, at school. I know a friend of mine that started a food pantry at um, my daughter's elementary school and how wonderful that was and how frustrating it was sometimes when we took a step back of, well, we had to create this. And Everyone knows this is a problem. We are not right the first person to come up with this solution. Why isn't there institutional support acknowledging that here are the systems to create this because it needs to be created everywhere? Do you feel like this is an issue everywhere? I mean, is hunger and housing instability and the effects of poverty only at some of our schools or is it? Maybe at some schools more than others, uh, definitely at some schools more than others, but I would feel like it touches every community and every school throughout the state. Yeah, I think it definitely is something that touches every school, I think, because of, I mean, I think there's a lot of systems at play that um, have led us to where we are. So to your point, are there schools that experience that more than others? Absolutely, because we know about housing segregation We know about um, just how that ends up working out in communities where there are schools that have a higher rate of free or reduced lunch. And that those are systematic things that have happened um, with um, how that plays out in schools. And I think when we're thinking about the challenges that schools are facing, that we really need to think about it systematically. Um, Because I don't think our solutions are going to be school by school, family by family. Like, we really need to look at it more broadly. And are you seeing school districts that are, are one, acknowledging the need for broad and then able to put the resources to create big picture solutions? Or is it really a lack of funding or a lack of will to be able to get there? 
I think the biggest piece is the lack of funding. Mm -hmm. um, in 15 years, I don't remember um, getting to the spring when principals are doing budgets and it being like, we have enough or we have, we're able to hire another position. Like, I can't recall that happening that I feel like every year it's like we have less, which means that something is cut, a position is changed um, or let go of. We have fewer teachers. Like it's always we're operating off of less and what feels like we're asked to do more. So there's more needs and things we're trying to meet, but yet every year um, it feels like we're schools school funding is cut or like at least in the school level of what it feels like is um that we're just having to make do with less um which is really hard and i think we're honestly getting to a critical point in our schools of i'm not sure that at this rate it can continue like it is I mean, it feels sometimes that you're almost set up to fail, that there's literally not enough funding to do all the work. You may know what it takes to be successful, but it's literally impossible to do. Does it Does it feel like that sometimes? Or there's more days where you're like, okay, we're getting through this. I think generally social workers would say um, that, that we're just not like there. I mean, we get through it because we're doing the best we can, but then what's the measurement of success, right. right? Like we're doing the best we can with what we have. And I think everyone in schools are working as hard as they can. Like everybody in every position, honestly, are doing so much and doing above and beyond or, and, or things that aren't even in their job description to try and make schools work. Um, and I think we're really to a point that when we want our schools to be successful, and if we want our schools to be meeting these needs for families, then we really need to staff them accordingly. We're talking and, and really invest in them because it feels like when the budgets are are never what they need to be, that we're really not investing in public schools who are who are educating the majority of the children in the state. We're talking right now with Sarah Leonards. She is the president-elect for the Wisconsin School Social Workers Association. If you want to join the conversation, we would love to hear from you. Do you have a story of how a social worker at your public school impacted your, your you or your child or a family member or perhaps your family together? We would love to hear from you at area code 608-256-2001, extension 9 uh, we have Mary Jo ready to answer the phones, and we have um, uh, Shali and uh, Jade and Jay. Everyone's here ready to assist you. Um, if you want to join the conversation, we would love to hear from you at area code 608-256-2001, extension 9. Um, Sarah, can you talk to us about what resources there are in schools uh, in a ideal situation, what support is there for social workers to help the students um, that come to them? Are you asking ideally, like yes. what would be the supports? Okay. Um, I honestly think one of the biggest um, moves that would make a, a huge difference is just looking at the ratio of all student services to student ratios in buildings. Um, so there are recommendations of what our staffing should be. Um, and we're typically across the state, not even close to that. Um, and that makes a huge difference. So like, I love my social workers. I want more social workers in buildings and in districts, but I love my psychologists and counselors too. And they play an important role in supporting students. Um, and so if we were really intentional in public schools about um, maintaining those ratios, um, that are recommended, that that would make a huge difference in the support. And I would say the quality of support. So when you're strapped with, because you cover so many students and there's so many needs, I don't feel like I can go as in depth as I would if my if, if I had fewer students that I was in charge of. Um, and so I think the quality of the support that we would be able to provide would shift. And I feel like there would be 
um, that that would be felt. I feel like it would make a difference in classrooms, in schools, and for families. And how far off the mark do you think we are in the ideal situation? Is it that you know, it can be added by one or two more individuals in buildings or is it really sort of doubling? It, it just, you're, there's just not enough hours in the day. Two people could be doing the work that you're doing. Yeah, I think it would easily be doubling or tripling and not just school social workers, school psychologists yes. and oh. or school counselors. I think we're really far off when you think of you know, more of our urban schools. My experience is there might be one social worker in a building, um, like an elementary or a middle school, maybe more at the high school level, but the numbers are really high still. When you think of um, some of our other communities, um, more rural communities, they might have one social worker for the entire district, Mm -hmm. right? And so I think no matter when you're thinking of across the state, it's gonna, it's gonna look different, but the ratios are still not manageable. What are some of the conversations that you think happen regarding funding then? Helping people understand the differences this would make in the schools if we had uh, more su- support staff, social workers, psychologists, um, counselors, all, all the people that can help our students re- uh, succeed. I feel like that's something that I'm still like learning more about, um, especially in my role as president elect is, you know, we, we have a legislative committee, we, um, you know, are looking at um, bills that are proposed that provide funding um, for school social workers or other pupil services staff. Um, But that's like an area I still want to learn more about. What else can we be doing to promote that we need to fund our schools? Like, I I don't know the answer to that. Um, And I I would be curious to know, like, how can we get the word out? How can we get folks really behind this and putting pressure on the people that represent us to fully fund our public schools? I want to ask you about uh, mental health and and just healthcare in general that you that you touched on a little bit. Talk to us about what are the challenges you're seeing with students. We touched a little bit about mental health, but are there even um, maybe you can elaborate on mental health, but m- even more issues of access to just basic healthcare, a, an annual physical, dental, um, other basic needs, so that a youth isn't in pain. Yeah, um, so I would say that accessing a primary care provider um, is probably the easiest like point of access for families. I think once we mm-hmm. move beyond talking with a primary care provider, um, accessing mental health is it's a confusing system. You have to figure out what, you know, look at what your insurance has, what providers um, take that insurance, what are the wait lists. Um, I think you know, we, one thing I always check with students and families on, is there a preference on who that mental health clinician is, whether it's a person of color, a person who speaks um, your language at home, you know, what language do you want your mental health support provided in? Um, And so there's just aspects to figure out. Um, And then navigating the system about where you can go, I think for some of our families, it's also, how do you get there? Like it, are you going to need a virtual appointment? Do you have Wi-Fi at home to be able to access the virtual appointment? Um, if Do you not, have a quiet are you going to get there? To, How are you going to, to get be, there? A quiet space to to be in if, if you could even have access to a tablet to, to have the meeting, uh, the conversation, where are you going to be where no one else is listening to you and you can actually have an honest conversation? Yeah. Correct. Uh, and there's just a lot of other factors, too. Um, I've you know, speaking about our families who um, are living in poverty, there's so many, you know, additional barriers. We have families working so hard. I know um, some parents working two, three jobs that are working, you know, a ton of hours and aren't able, you know, to take their child to an appointment. Um, so I feel like we're, we're navigating those systems. I think there's been a push to provide um, mental health support in schools in a different way. Um, so I know there are therapists who 
are working in some schools or some districts through partnerships where they're able to see students at school, um, which I think, you know, does improve access. Um, but again, that is, um, you know, that might vary by district um, and by school. Do you see a difference in the needs based on the grades, uh, the needs of an elementary school versus the needs in a high school? That's a good question. My experience in the last four years is at the high school level. Um, and so, I, I mean, I have friends in middle school who are social workers in middle school and elementary. I think the needs are still there, how those needs present themselves at school Various. and mm. what that means can look very different, I think, depending on the level. It's interesting because when I think about the high school, I now have two high schoolers and how many more adults, my students, my uh, two children as high schoolers interact with where we always sort of say, okay, well, find your teacher, find your person that like, hey, you're having a bad day. This is perhaps a person that you can connect with on the on the high school level there. They have access to more adults, it seems, but then they're also less willing to talk about things. So it's this interesting yin and yang is as students get older and the, and the needs and the resources um, or maybe the solutions need to change on how to solve the problem, even if the problem is the same. Yeah, I think, too, like to your point, I think that's where school social workers are really good at, um, at building relationships. Mm -hmm. And so we're... You know, we might reach out to a student who really does not want to have a conversation with us um, or a family that might be hesitant to engage with school because of past experiences that haven't been great. Um, but I think school social workers are really skilled at building those relationships. So we kind of know, like, sometimes it, it takes a bit um, to build that trust and that relationship. And that's where I feel like school social workers are really skilled at, at doing that with our families and and with our students, especially ones who um, maybe have had traumatic experiences at school or maybe not as trusting um, of folks in the school. But yeah. I feel like school social workers are are good at hanging in there and knowing what to do to like keep keep trying and keep being there, even when um, you know a student might not be ready yet. Do you think we have enough um, diversity in gender and? Yeah, in race of people that are are willing to work as social workers. You know, this is a really tough job and social workers in our schools, right, don't get the appreciation for the incredible work that you do on a daily basis. Do you think we're getting enough people, perhaps in general, but also the diversity that we need to connect on a personal level with the students? I think that's absolutely an area of focus um, and a conversation that even this week we had um, as an organization and and that, yes, we want to be doing things to, to support the diversity within our profession because it's not diverse, right? We know that white women make up the majority of school social workers, um, and that's something that we definitely want to be working towards um, changing because we know it's important. We need our kids to feel connected at school. We need their identities to be valued. And we need our students to see people in their buildings that look like them. Yeah. It's important and it matters. Um, and so I know as an organization, we're having conversations um, about that as far as what do our training programs look like? Who are we getting in the training programs? What can we do that would maybe um, reach out to a wider um range of students and backgrounds, like how can we get more folks um, from diverse backgrounds going into school social work? And I'm assuming the other people services um, professions are looking that, at that as well. Yeah, I mean, the social workers are the individuals and, and the psychologists and other school support staff are, are the individuals that have the most personal uh, connections with our students and uh, level of trust. It's, it's not easy to build sometimes when you are come from different backgrounds. Um, makes it makes it really admirable the the efforts that uh, you and your colleagues go through, and yet barriers that you wish weren't there if there was more diversity in the profession. I think that also speaks to just uh, 
professional obligation to be looking at and doing your own anti-racist work, Mm -hmm. right? So we know if there are, you know, as a white school social worker, there's work that I need to do within myself um, to really examine what biases I may hold and um, to be actively working to continue on that journey um, to be anti-racist and to and to do that work within a school building as well. And so I think, um, you know, we also know that there's systematic reasons of why the profession looks like it does uh, demographically, right? And so there's systematic um, barriers that we also need to talk about for making sure that colleges are representative of the population that we have, yes, you know, in Wisconsin and in you know in the nation. Um, so I think it's it's a broader issue, but it's definitely really important. And knowing that school social workers are working across, um, you know, with diverse students and families, um, they have to be engaging in that work to be to be knowledgeable and to continue um, on their anti-racist journey. We're talking right now with Sarah Lennertz. She is president-elect of the Wisconsin School Social Workers Association. We would love to hear from you if you want to join the conversation at area code 608-256-2001, extension 9. Um, Sarah, I have so many questions. We're never going to get to them all, but we'll just keep rolling through them. Um, a couple of people, um, two friends of mine reached out to me and uh, thought they really wanted to hear the role that social workers play outside of the classroom in influencing what happens in the classroom. Talk to me about the relationship that social workers have with our teachers and supporting success in the classroom. Yeah, I think that's, you know, we've we've talked a lot about what social work might look like in supporting families and students, but that is also a role that we play. Um, and I think that role often happens maybe more frequently in um, elementary and middle school, um, but really supporting teachers. And it can look in a variety of ways, um, you know, with our knowledge and experience in understanding behavior and functions of behavior, we can support teachers in, you know, when they're struggling with a student or maybe a group of students or just generally classroom management. Um, That's been a place when school social workers can go in and support a teacher with thinking of strategies of, you know, what are some preventative strategies we can put into your classroom? What are some um, ways you could maybe respond differently, like going in there to observe what's happening and then making suggestions of some tweaks um, that they could do that might help with um, just creating a, a calmer, more inclusive classroom environment. So we definitely will provide yeah. that type of support in a classroom when a teacher is looking for that um, kind of feedback and brainstorming for what to do to make you know their classroom run more smoothly. Um, so that's definitely one um, way that we have as a profession support teachers in the classroom. Absolutely. Um, Talk to me about how that sort of spills out then into sometimes discipline that happens at school, whether it's in school suspension or out of school suspension or restorative justice alternatives. Like are how are social workers involved in that and how do you make sure or how do you work to make sure that, you know, students are in school and supported I'm always concerned about sort of disciplinary actions that have this extreme effect of pushing kids and out of the school system and making them think, well, school is not the place that I belong. Yeah, I think school social workers, and that's where we're kind of like wear so many different hats and and play um, a role within the school. Um, I know a lot of school social workers are often on the end of advocating for students who may have that experience or may that might be a conversation of when a suspension is being considered of like, well, have we tried X, Y, Z? Could we try this instead? I think those conversations do happen um, with school social workers kind of advocating for kids um, because we don't want to see, you know, children pushed out. I think um, going back to how schools are currently staffed, um, I know one concern of school social workers 
you know, that we hear is that we're asked to do a lot of different things. And it's often feels like kind of making up for some of the positions that aren't there. Mm -hmm. Um, So that can, you know, social workers are asked to carry a radio and respond to behaviors in the classroom. Uh, We have social workers, you know, covering lunch supervision or recess supervision. And, um, and I think there's just conversations of, what do we want our school social workers doing in schools? So we have training and specific knowledge and a lot of different things. And what what are we being asked to do? And what is our what is our time taking up doing? Um, it's just one thing. I think we have a role to play. Um, but when we think about um, staffing and resources, I think that's one of the um, main concerns that we're hearing from school social workers is just that they're asked to do a lot of things kind of outside of the realm of social work too. I mean, I think that's part of, right. One of the takeaways I'm, I'm taking from this conversation, although I thought this already, but it's good to have it reinforced and really backed up by the conversation that we're having is the fact of how understaffed our public schools are and that we don't have the tools. We're not giving our, our, our staff, the resources to do the things that they can do. Not that you can solve all of the problems, but you aren't even able to solve the problems perhaps you could solve if you just were given the time and space to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, you know, a big concern. We're, there's a lot of things that we want to do preventatively and building community within schools and addressing student needs. And I think that's where when it comes to staffing, that uh, we often feel pulled in directions um, that make it hard to to do, you know, the work that we really want to be doing in schools. I want to talk to you about families. Um, I know we have touched on that a little bit, but I have seen, um, and this isn't brand new, but maybe it's new in the, the history of the world, right? In the last, it feels like decade or so, conversations about community schools and really acknowledging the beacon and the role that public schools play as a destination in neighborhoods. Can you talk to me a little bit about that of, you know, making sure the community is engaged in our schools and having a conversation bigger than just learning your ABCs kind of thing to help support the success of our students? Yeah, I I feel like I have less knowledge of um, community schools and maybe how and what you're asking about because I have heard of you know some schools. There's sort of this mystery. What exactly is a community community school? school. I I mean I I love the idea of thinking about our schools as a place that's accessible to our community, Um, knowing that right we're 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 located where people live and and their children come to school here. I think about what ways, you know, our schools could be utilized more like for community events or other things that would bring people potentially in and feel more comfortable with school and feel more connected to school. I mean, I think about that a lot of how, right, when you don't have kids in a school, you don't think about that school as much, whether you've never had children or whether your children have aged out or whatever it is. It's just, right, it makes sense that you worry about and think about the things that are in your everyday life. And when I get pulled back to an elementary school, when I'm not usually there, you know, the bright colors and the energy and and the posters on the wall and and the, the teachers, it, it gives you a sense of community that even if you don't go there when any students or teachers are in in the building. And it it has this magic effort. I really like sort of the the out-of-the-box thinking of connecting community to the the physical school building. Do you see that in in parts across the the state? I don't know that I can speak to that. I don't know that I think it's happening, maybe some places. Um, I think, again, that would speak to probably depending on the school and or community and what work is being done there. So Sarah and you know, we have about uh, eight more minutes and I definitely wanted to save time at the end to talk about um, the work that the Wisconsin school social workers association does um, the policy work that you do. How, how can we 
learn about the work that you do and support the work that you do so that our schools get the funding that they deserve. Yeah. So the Wisconsin School Social Work Association, um, you know, a main part that we do is, you know, to provide a place where, um, you know, resources or support just an, you know, our group of, of folks that we can kind of lean into each other, um, collaborate um, with and get information out of. So we, um you know, can send out information about opportunities for continued learning that might be of interest to our school social workers. We have an annual fall conference where we get together um, for, you know, continued learning and hearing speakers and having that time to collaborate and kind of talk about the trends that we're seeing in schools and maybe what next steps are, how we can advocate, you know, within our schools, but then within our profession as well. Um, so that's really the main goal of our organization is supporting our school social workers across the state, um, supporting our profession, and um, and just continued learning opportunities for us to continue to grow. Um, we do have a legislative committee that is very strong and meets um, monthly. We do... Um, we do employ a lobbyist that helps with that work, which is... Um, really helpful for us to stay on top of what bills are being introduced and allows us an expert to, be, to talk us through what's the conversations are going on at the Capitol um, and kind of navigating those systems because we're all working, we're all working social workers. So the work that we do with the board is in addition to that, um, you know, voluntary. So to have a lobbyist that can help navigate the system and to keep track of bills that would be of interest um, or importance to us um, has been really helpful in just the advocacy that we're able to do. Um, so our organization will testify in regards to bills that have been proposed, whether we're for it or against it. Um, so we definitely have done that work. Um, and continuing to advocate that we fund our schools appropriately. Do you find that overall um, legislators at the Capitol uh, and broadly, no matter what political party, and I know that um, the association has supported bills and opposed bills, and sort of there's, but broadly, do you find that there's empathetic uh, legislators at the Capitol that understand the important work that social workers do? Yeah, I think that's, you know, the benefit of the legislative work that we do and having a lobbyist helps is that um, we have communicated directly with representatives. We've also um, had, you know, representatives reach out asking our opinion on um, a time or two on a certain bill or a certain idea that they were thinking about. Um, so I think the more that we're able to be visible to our representatives and have that communication and providing feedback and registering either for or against um, and, and just that continued you know, conversation uh, just helps that grow. I think that's, uh, I think we've been doing great work. Um, and I think that's an area that I hope to see keep growing is just those relationships established with the folks that represent us at the Capitol. Well, Sarah, it's been wonderful talking with you in, in our sort of final minutes here. Are there anything that you want our listeners to know about the, you know, ways that they can support um, our social workers in our schools? You know, I think the biggest thing that we've touched on multiple times is, um, you know, talking with the folks that represent you that you want to see schools fully funded. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing that would, um, you know, that I want to see that would would make a huge difference for our families is some of the systematic things that are still um, really challenging um, for families. Like I would, you know, this isn't directly related to school social work, but it impacts our family greatly as like a livable minimum wage, right? There's just like things that systematically impact our our families. And so anything that we can do that's going to benefit all of our families um, and access to mental health is like any time that these bills or things are being proposed and just supporting things that are going to support 
our families and our well, youth. It's so important to remind us all, you know, again, I feel like we all know this, but we need to be reminded that when we have better housing policies, we support our public schools. When we be- have better mental health policies, we support our public schools. When we have better transportation policies, we support our public schools. The, that all of this, it's almost like our public schools are where it all comes together and where students, if they can't even get into the classroom ready to learn, then we've, we, we've haven't succeeded in, in educating them yet. Yeah. yeah, I think that's where, you know, the question is that when people ask that, I think they often expect an answer of something within the school of what you could do for me at the specific school. And while there are things like that, to me, I would rather see things shift on a systems level because that impact is far greater um, than anything individual, individually we could do. And do you feel like conversations that you have with social workers outside of the school setting, the challenges are perhaps the same, but just in a different location? Absolutely. I think, you know, my experience as a school social worker in Madison, um, while there are going to be differences, right, um, I'm not going to say it's exactly the same, but the themes that, you know, I touched on today would be pretty accurate for a lot of school social workers across the state. Well, Sarah, it's been fabulous talking with you today. Thank you so much for joining us. And I know, right, I, I get to see where you are right now while we're on the radio and how you're, you're sitting in your office in a Madison public school right now. So we really appreciate you taking a moment to talk with us about the wonderful things that social workers do in our schools and the challenges that you face every day to be successful um, at what you choose to do. So it's been great talking with you, Sarah. All right. Thank you for having me. That again was Sarah Leonard. She's the president-elect for the Wisconsin School Social Workers Association, and she is currently a social worker uh, in uh, Madison High School. Uh, I wanted to thank uh, Sarah again for joining us, and a huge thank you, of course, to uh, Jade for uh, producing today's show, Jay for engineering, Mary Jo for staffing the phones, Sholly, our news director. We could not make this show successful without everybody. And I, again, am Carousel Baird. It's been wonderful talking with everyone. Thank you for listening to WORT 89.9 FM Madison. We will see you again next week. Have a great day, everybody. Recorded with information that would never be reported. Disregard the mainstream, media distorted. We come and listen and support it.